Kayla Berg was 15 when she disappeared back in 2009. Somebody knows something. Please, for the love of God, if you know something, just tell law enforcement, the FBI, any agency. Just help me get my daughter back and help me find her and get some answers. And if Kayla, you still happen to see this somewhere, oh God, I love you and I just want you. Welcome to the Searching for Closure podcast, an ongoing investigation into the unsolved 2009 missing persons case of 15-year-old Kayla Berg. After I ended my investigation into Tina Davison, I was pretty down on myself, honestly. I didn't even want to start investigating anything. I felt like a failure having given up on the case, and I felt like a coward for giving into threats and pressure. I re-examined all my mistakes that I made in the six months that I looked into Tina's case. Eventually, I got out of my own head and got out of my own way, and I started gathering information on new missing persons and unsolved cold cases. One that stuck out to me was the story of Kayla Berg. I joined a Facebook group entitled Missing Kayla May Berg, or MKMB for short. It was ran by her mother and uh, friends of Kayla. After being a casual participant in the Missing Kayla Berg Facebook group for, I don't know, maybe a month or so, they formed a new one. It was entitled Bringing Home Kayla Berg. Hope's Army. It was started by a man named Arnie and Hope, which was Kayla's mother. Or at least that's what I thought at the time. I might uh, discuss the whole story on a much later episode, but right now it really doesn't matter. The focus of this podcast is bringing home Kayla, and that's all that matters. Anyways, he introduced himself by saying, quote, Hi. I am a 64-year-old that has done this with law enforcement. I am not a private investigator. I am a former Army MP and was a small-town officer in the mid-80s. I believe that children should be with their loved ones, that no one should take them. I have nothing but time and will try my best to help get Kayla home. I've had a group that worked side-by-side with law enforcement. We were able to relay dozens of tips. We can do this. Thanks. End quote. I decided to come out of the shadows and introduce myself. I didn't think that anything would really come from it. Uh, everyone else was introducing themselves, so I just figured it would be the polite thing to do. So I introduced myself. Um, within minutes, Arnie accepted my offer to help with the investigation by doing a podcast, and he even made me an administrator of the group. Suddenly, we hit the ground running. I'd never seen a Facebook group explode the way that this one did. Suddenly, hundreds of people requested to join and started offering tips and suggestions. Honestly, it was pretty incredible. And I was one of the founding members of the group. And it felt good. Uh, much more importantly, it 
put me in a position that I should have taken from the start of Tina's case. I'm not an investigator, but I seem to be a pretty decent storyteller. Not the type who tells fictional stories, but rather relaying evidence, theories, and facts to people and letting them decide for themselves. So I take all the information that I gather and I let people much smarter than me make the final decision. So having said all that, who is Kayla Berg? Kayla May Berg was born on August 29th, 1993, to parents James Spawnbauer and Hope Sprieger. I don't know if I said those last names right. I hope I did. She had an older brother, Jimmy, who, despite being two and a half years older than Kayla, grew up to become one of her best friends. Kayla was born and raised in the small town of Antigua, Wisconsin, which is about 160 miles northwest of Milwaukee. Antigua is only about six square miles and only boasts about 8,000 residents. When Kayla was still very young, her parents separated. They had not been married, but it still had the hardships of a normal divorce. James and Hope worked together to make it as easy on the children as they could. Jimmy and Kayla lived with Hope, but the kids could see their father whenever they wanted to. They had the standard every other weekend schedule, but if they wanted to go spend the night with their dad, Hope was more than willing to let them go. She felt that the more time they could spend with him, the better. I was very happy when I read about the visitation schedule that the two had for their children. All too often, disdain and anger get in the way during a divorce or a separation, and it's most often the children that feel the blunt of it. Children wholeheartedly need their mother in life to teach them and nurture them, but fathers also play a pivotal role in adolescent development. Sadly, however, James was diagnosed with cancer around this time, and his health began to decline. As a result of the cancer treatments, he required dialysis, so he moved in with his parents, who could assist in taking care of him. Kayla was described as sweet and kind, bubbly and optimistic, a young girl with endless energy. She was driven and loved life. She loved to laugh and make others feel good, especially her mother, with whom she had a great relationship. Her goal was to make her mom happy. If Hope was in a bad mood or sad, Kayla would go out of her way to do something silly in hopes of cheering her mother up. In spring of 2009, while Kayla was a sophomore in high school, Hope began to notice shifts in her behavior. Her grades began to drop and she seemed to be around a lot less, spending the weekends with her friends instead of staying at home. Hope discovered that while Kayla had been telling her that she spends her weekends with friends, that wasn't quite the entire truth. During those weekends away, 15-year-old Kayla had been traveling out of the small town of Montego, heading out with her friends 35 miles away to the town of Wausau. Compared to Antigo, Wausau is considerably bigger. Not nearly the size of Chicago or New York, but it was a big city to Kayla and her friends. The population was near 40,000 people, compared to Antigo's tiny 8,000. Mixed in the glitz and glamour of these big city lights, Kayla and her friends found a multitude of parties to attend, 
as most teenagers that age did. Kayla and her friends would often catch rides with older friends, heading out into the city where they would attend parties filled with older high school students and even college kids. I did the same thing when I was a teenager. I'd tell my parents I would be sleeping over at a buddy's house, and he'd tell his parents he'd be sleeping over at my house. We would then just drive around all night, looking for fun or mischief. Sometimes we'd find both. It was during this time that Kayla met a man named Miguel Marrero, a 19-year-old who, along with his brothers, often threw the parties the girls attended. Despite Miguel being four years older than Kayla, the two started dating, and Miguel was known to make the drive from Wausau to Antigua to pick Kayla up for the weekend. At the time, he lived at 1017 East Wausau Avenue, which would often be the house that hosted these parties. Eventually, Culp decided it was time to have a heart-to-heart with Kayla about her life, and while she wasn't fully aware of the Wausau part of it, she wasn't dumb. She'd been a teenager once herself and knew that there was something else going on. Following the end of her sophomore year, in June of 2009, Hope sat Kayla down to talk to her about her behavior. Kayla is said to have been very remorseful and told Hope that she would work harder. It was at this time that Hope dropped another bombshell on her daughter. She had planned on moving. Things were getting hard for Hope in Antigo, and while she loved the town, it wasn't able to provide her with all the things that she needed. The family was experiencing some troubles. Jobs were really hard to come by in the small town, and Hope had family down in Texas who offered her a fresh start. Kayla was reported to have been crushed by the news, but much like when Hope and James separated, Hope was very open with her about her options. Kayla could come with her to Texas and give it a shot, or she could stay in Antigua with her father, but she'd have to live with her grandparents. Hope didn't want to force Kayla into doing anything. She wanted Kayla to do what she thought was best and what would make her the happiest. Ultimately, Kayla made the decision to go with Hope. Despite the anticipation of a fresh start and the warm welcoming of their family in Texas, both Kayla and Hope felt homesick fairly quickly. Kayla tried to give it her best shot, but Hope could see that from the very first day, she was really struggling to adjust. As hopeful as they were for the bright and new future, the jobs and possibilities were not nearly as plentiful as she had imagined, and the Texas environment was vastly different from what they were accustomed to. The last straw came in July. While trying to enroll Kayla in high school, they discovered that the local school didn't have a gymnastics program. Gymnastics was one of Kayla's biggest passions in life. This was a crushing blow for her, and just days before the two would receive even worse news, Kayla's father, James, had taken a turn for the worst. After being in Texas for only two months, Hope made the decision that they should return to Antigo. Kayla called her friends and exclaimed that she'd be coming home. She was so happy. She couldn't wait to return to her family, her friends, to the home that she knew and loved. The two returned to Antigua on Sunday, August 2nd, 2009. Hope moved in with a few friends, and Kayla moved in with her grandparents. 
It wasn't a real comfortable living arrangement for either, and especially for Kayla, who slept on a cot in the upstairs hallway of her grandparents' house. It wasn't the best setup by any means, but it did give Kayla more time to spend with her family, and despite everything, Kayla was said to be extremely happy to be back home, and almost immediately began making plans to spend time with her friends. On Tuesday, August 11th, 2009, Kayla called her mother to let her know she was planning on visiting her friend Natasha and hanging out during the early part of the day. The two hung out at home for a while before heading out to spend some time at the local park. They returned sometime before 5 p.m. because apparently Natasha had a new job at a restaurant and she couldn't be late for her first shift. When the two got back to Natasha's, they found that Kayla's brother Jimmy was there, hanging out with Natasha's older brother and another friend, Kevin Kilchevsky. Kevin was 24 and a close friend of Jimmy's. He knew Kayla well, and he watched her grow up. When Natasha left for work around 5 p.m., Kayla stayed behind, chatting with Kevin. The two talked for a while, and then made plans to get together later that night. He had a license and drove a Jeep, and oftentimes would drive the girls around, whether it was through town to grab something to eat, over to a friend's house, or even a 35-mile drive to Wausau. At some point, Kayla went home to her grandparents' place, and she spent a little time with her father. Cell phone records show that at 8.45 p.m., Kevin called the house and spoke with Kayla. Within a few minutes of the call, he arrived outside and Kayla hopped into his Jeep. This would be the last time either of Kayla's parents would see her again. The last confirmed sighting of Kayla took place that night at approximately 9.30 p.m. According to Kayla's friend Beth, who was working at the local McDonald's, she saw Kevin's Jeep pull into the parking lot. Kevin stayed in the Jeep while Kayla came into the restaurant and chatted for a little bit. Beth would later say that Kayla seemed completely normal, her usual bubbly and fun-loving self. During her brief conversation with Beth, Kayla spoke of her plans for that night. She and Kevin were going to just drive around together and maybe smoke a little marijuana. For a lot of teenagers nowadays, that's a pretty standard Friday night. She was supposed to call Beth later that night when Beth got off work, but Beth never received that call. The next morning, Wednesday, August 12th, James woke up to find that Kayla wasn't home. While it wasn't super uncommon for Kayla to spend the night out, considering recent events and the talk that she had with her mother, she knew better than to do so without at least calling and letting her parents know. James called Kevin, who picked Kayla up the night before, and asked where his daughter was. Kevin simply said that after hanging out for a while, he had dropped Kayla off at a friend's house. The day wore on and the night grew closer, and still Kayla had not returned home nor had she even called. Growing increasingly worried, he decided to call Hope, wondering if maybe Kayla went to go see her mom, but he didn't get an answer. The following morning, on Thursday, August 13th, Hope noticed a missed call from James and called him back. James caught her up on all the details. He explained that Kayla had gone out with Kevin, and Kevin claimed that he dropped her off at a friend's house, and no one's seen her since. 
on Friday, August 14th, Hope started calling everyone she could think of to try to track Kayla down. Unfortunately, none of her friends seemed to know where she was. Saturday, August 15th, four days since Kayla was last seen, Hope received a call from her son Jimmy. Jimmy tells Hope that he heard some people saying that Kayla was over at a friend's house, and he gives the name and number to Hope. Hope isn't able to get in touch with a friend until the following day, Saturday, August 16th, and when she does, she's told there must be some sort of misunderstanding. Kayla isn't there with her, and she hasn't seen her in days. At this time, Hope receives a text from one of Kayla's friends that she had not been able to get in touch with earlier, the last person seen with her, Kevin. In the text, Kevin repeats what he originally told James, that he dropped Kayla off at the friend's house, and that was the last time he saw her. When pressed for details, he wasn't very helpful. Not only does he say he can't remember where he dropped her off, he doesn't even remember what she was wearing that night. Hope reached out to Miguel, wondering maybe her daughter started seeing her ex-boyfriend again. But Miguel says that he hasn't seen Kayla since the previous Friday. On Monday, August 17th, some six days after Kayla was last seen, Hope goes down to the Antigua Police Department to file a missing persons report. Unfortunately, police initially were not exactly helpful. Kayla was 15 years old when she went missing, and a pretty typical 15-year-old at that point. Initially, she was reported as a runaway. Investigators were assigned to try to track down Kayla, and they began with friends and family, conducting interviews about her behavior in the recent days, who she hung out with, and where was she likely to go. When they speak to Natasha, she explained that initially she assumed Kayla had gone to Wausau. Problem was, it was highly unlike Kayla to not check in with anyone, especially for her to not call her family. Even if Kayla did go to Wausau, it just wasn't possible for her to go a week without calling someone. Investigators got in contact with Kevin and arranged to interview him about the events of that night. According to the authorities, Kevin admitted to picking up Kayla driving around, and smoking marijuana with her. And he later dropped her off at a friend's house in Wausau at approximately 10.30 p.m. According to Kevin, when Kayla exited the car, he backed out of the driveway and began his drive home, never waiting to see if Kayla got in or if she was safe. When asked for the location of the house, authorities say he seemed evasive. He explained that there were a lot of one-way roads in Wausau, and he wasn't sure where he was going and that Kayla directed him on how to get there. Eventually, it's discovered that the home he is alleged to have left Kayla at is 1017 East Wausau Avenue, Kayla's ex-boyfriend Miguel's house. But there is one problem with this. Miguel does not live there anymore. He's moved a little more than a mile away. The house had been inspected by the county and deemed unlivable, and the house was condemned. Kayla had been out of town for a few months, so some believe it's possible that she wasn't aware of the move, but according to her friends, that's not very likely. So, what happened to Kayla Berg? 
In the following episodes, I will be exploring the police investigation, a multitude of theories involving the case, false alarms, and conspiracy theories, and the growing interest in Kayla's story. If you'd like to help in the search for Kayla, please visit the website www.searchingforclosure.com. I'll be posting missing persons posters of her, along with age-updated photos, and um, you can join in the conversation on the Facebook group, which I also have a link to on the website. If you know something about what happened to Kayla, please say something to someone, anyone. Either email me at info at searchingforclosure.com, message someone on the Missing Kayla Mayberg Facebook group, or contact authorities at 715-627-6411. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.